Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Breaking down every game every day in Major League Baseball, this is The Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warmer fuzzy low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the baseball betting show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa family of podcasts. We've got a tremendous podcast for you as we're going to be diving in in segment number two to the NL Central as Matt Pauly does tremendous work over at KMOX. That's the official flagship station of the St. Louis Cardinals and he does a lot of the studio work for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's going to be joining me in segment number two. No doubt going to be taking a look at this Blue Jays versus Cardinals series. We're going to be taking a look at the outlook of the Cardinals. We're going to be taking a look at the outlook of the NL Central. And I do think that the Milwaukee Brewers are outside the top two of the NL Central. I will find out if he agrees slash disagrees with me on that take. So we're going to be doing that in segment number two. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters yeah, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Five that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today. I know that many of you guys, much like myself, were watching the Final Four, so... That makes all the sense in the world, and while the Final Four was going on, there was some great action out there in baseball, so let's take a look back at everything that we got on Saturday, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. It took them 17 innings to plate their first run of the year, but the Milwaukee Brewers get it done over the Chicago Cubs. 3-1 to one the final as... For Milwaukee, they do go 2 of 8 with men in scoring position. Jesse Winker was able to drive in a run along with William Contreras as Brandon Woodruff, he did his part, gave up one solo run over the course of six innings. That was to Ian Happ. From there, bullpen was able to get the job done. Peter Strzelski, Devin Williams, along with Matt Bush shall supply a scoreless inning. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, and a terrific start for Justin Steele. Six scoreless innings, eight strikeouts, and then Javier Assad gives up three runs in one and third innings before Michael Rucker, Michael Fulmer, both getting out of the bullpen, and Mark Lader Jr. was able to supply a scoreless inning. So those teams are now one and one, and 
Both of those games have one under in that series. Houston Astros area will get it done on the money line and the run line. 6-4, they take down the Chicago White Sox as Lucas Giolito. Not great, not terrible. He does give up three runs in five innings, but a Yoan Mankata throwing error really hurt him. Only two of those runs were earned. As for the Astros, they probably should have gotten more runs than they did. They went 6-19 of 19 with men in scoring position. They had men on base all throughout the day as Jose Arikidi did struggle in his first start of the season. Three runs surrendered in four innings, including a pair of homers. As Yomankata, he had the air, but he also had a home run. And Sebi Zavala was able to go deep as well. But the Sasters bullpen, they were the top in the big leagues in terms of VRA last year, and they delivered. Ryan Sanic five outs out the bullpen. Scoreless Hector Neris, one in the third inning scoreless. And you had two scoreless settings out of Verona Balanco. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, Bullpen was not so great. Joe Kelly, shock, shock, surprise, surprise, gave up a run in an inning. He took the L. You had a pair of guys in Jimmy Lambert along with Gregory Santos provide a pair of outs out of the bullpen and did have two runs given up while getting just two outs out of Jose Ruiz. You saw the Atlanta Braves take it to the Washington Nationals. Going to be seeing this a lot this year. 7-1 the finalist, Spencer Strider. He was terrific. He did walk three, but nine strikeouts, six scoreless innings. Very good effort there. Joey Menez, couple with Nick Anderson. Both supply a scoreless inning, and then he did have Kirby Yates give up a solo home run in the ninth inning when it was too late as Keybat Ruiz, he gets his first home run season, and Josiah Gray led the National League in home run surrendered last year, and he's picking up right where he left off. Five runs surrendered in five innings, including three home runs. Marcel Ozuna goes deep off of him. You have Matt Olsen take one of his two home runs off of Mr. Gray. Ronald Acuna took him deep as well, and then the other home run for Mr. Matt Olson that came off of Thaddeus Ward, who came in for two innings, gave up two runs, including that homer. Anthony Banda was able to go for a scoreless inning, couple with Hobie Harris, and for the Washington Nationals, not a lot doing in this one. Quite a bit doing for our DK Nation pick. We had the over of 7.5 in the Rangers versus the Phillies. We got there with a lot left over. 16-3. The Texas Rangers get the win. The DK Nation pick gets there easily. Zach Wheeler, I noticed, really struggled towards the beginning part of last season. He struggled in this one. Five runs, four of which were earned, surrendered in four and a third innings as the Rangers were able to get a deep ball off of him. Marcus Simeon, first home run season. Then Mitch Garver goes deep twice for his first two home runs of the season as he goes deep off of Junior Marte, who gives up two runs and two-thirds of an inning against Sir Anthony Dominguez, who was great during the postseason last year. He gives up six runs, four of which were earned and did not record an out. Yeah, right now is ERA's at infinity. That's not terrific. Jose Alvarado, scoreless hanging out of the bullpen, Andrew Bellotti, scoreless ending out of the bullpen, Craig Kimbrell, shock, shock, surprise, surprise. Three runs surrendered, he got one out, and it was up to Josh Harrison to get the final two outs of the game, and he's a position player. Meanwhile, for Texas, Anthony Evaldi. I'm not going to say it was a great start. Gave up three runs in five innings, but certainly enough to be able to get it done here. As Dane Dunning, he got her Dunning. Three scoreless innings, and Taylor Hearn was able to go for a scoreless inning. San Francisco Giants take down the New York Yankees by a count of 7-5, to five, as Alex Cobb was not long for this game. Three and two-thirds innings. Gives up two runs, just one of which was earned, though. He did get taken deep in this one, as John Carlos San got his first home run season. Then Taylor Rogers did give up a home run to Josh Donaldson for his first of the season as Rodgers gives up that run in an inning. Camilio Duvall gives up a run in an inning, and Jacob Junis in long relief gives up one run in two and a third innings before John Brebbia is able to supply a scoreless inning as well, but a pair of home runs off of Clark Schmidt were big for the San Francisco Giants. Brandon Crawford and Jock Peterson both get their first home run season as for Schmidt. Not long for this game either. Three runs 
in three and a third innings, surrender, including those two bombs. Wani Peralta does give you a scoreless inning. Albert Abreu, two scoreless innings, but Michael King was not the king on this day. He gives up two runs in one and two-thirds innings. Clay Holmes, I don't know if he's going to have the closers roll or not as he got two outs, but gave up two runs along the way before Jimmy Cordero comes in, gets in out uh, the bullpen. The St. Louis Cardinals were able to hold down the Toronto Blue Jays 4-1 the final. We'll talk more about the St. Louis Cardinals on the flip side with our good friend Matt Pauley, but for Kevin Gosman, his bad luck continues. He had a really rough go of it last year with regards to his fielding independent being much better than his ERA. 300 runs given up in six innings. As a Matt Chapman throwing error just completely caused this game to go off the rails. Adam Simber, a squirrel saying out the bull Pen, Eric Swanson, he gives up a run in an inning, and behind him, the Toronto Blue Jays left 12 men on base and went 0 of 11 with men in scoring position. So that was not terrific for Jack Flaherty. Very interesting stat line. Five no eight innings with seven walks. You don't see that very often. Drew Verhagen and Andre Pallotti both supply his scoreless inning. I can't get over the fact that he had seven walks and no hits rendered. Uh, Jordan Nix, he gives up a one run in a third of an inning. He walked three as well before Ryan Elsley comes in, supplies a five-out save, and did not give up a run along the way. You did see along the way, the LA Angels completely tattoo the Oakland A's. 13-1 the final is... It was the debut of Shintaro Fujinami at the big league level. He helped hit the overall by himself. He got seven outs and he gave up eight runs, all of which were earned. Adam Mahler, he uh, threw some gasoline on that fire. Five runs, four of which were earned, given up in four and two-thirds innings. Before Drusich Pavilion, Sam Mall came in for a scoreless inning as for the Angels. He did have Taylor Ward go deep off of Aller's first home run season as the Angels went 7 of 9 with men in scoring position. Patrick Sandoval gives up a solo home run over the course of five innings as Ramon Laureano was able to get his first home run in the campaign. And then from there, four innings of scoreless baseball to Tucker Davidson. So that was a good showing for the Angels after opening day was not so savory. And speaking of not-so-savory, how about the start of the season for the Kansas City Royals? Back-to-back times in which they have been shut out. 2-0, to zero, the Minnesota Twins were able to get it done as Sonny Gray. Five scoreless signings, did have four walks along the way, but the Royals just couldn't do anything with men in scoring position. 0 of 8 with that regard, and then from there, the Twins' bullpen was able to just really stifle Ore Lopez, Ore Alcala, Griffin Jacks, Caleb Theobar, all provide a scoreless setting in. For the Royals, they got a halfway decent start out Jordan Lyles. He gives up two runs, only one of which was earned. Over the course of five and a third innings, Ryan Yarbrough out of the bullpen, newly acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays, one and two-thirds innings, and then you did have Aroldis Chapman and Taylor Clark both strike out the side in their inning as they went scoreless, but for the Royals, absolutely nothing doing with their bats. First two games of the season, nothing doing for the Marlins on Saturday as the New York Metropolitans pick up a 6-2 win for the New York Mets, they had Mark Canna go deep in this one. His first home run of the season has moved to the bullpen as Braxton Garrett, who I actually liked as a starter. He gave up that home run. Two runs in total surrendered in three innings as Edward Cabrera got the start. And he's not long for this game. Gives up two runs in four innings, but the reason why it wasn't long for this game is because he gave up six walks. And from there, Andrew Nardi, he gave up two runs in an inning. And yet, Matt Barnes be able to supply a scoreless inning as well. Main form of offense for the Miami Marlins, Nick Fortes was able to get his first home run season. He takes Tyler McGill deep as McGill, two runs surrendered in five innings. From their bullpen did their part. Brooks Raley, Drew Smith provide a scoreless inning. Dennis Santana, Adam Montevino, David Robertson all give a scoreless inning. The San Diego Padres, they finally get their first win of the season. They get an 8-4 W over the Colorado Rockies. 
And for Colorado, Jose Yerenia. He Yerenia'd all over the game. Four runs surrendered in two and th- uh, third innings, including a home run to Xander Bogarts. His first as a San Diego Padres. Ty Block had to come in for long relief, giving up two runs in three innings. Former Padre Denelson Lemaitre, still very strange to see him in the bullpen. Two runs surrendered in an inning before Jake Bird gets five outs out of the bullpen scoreless. CJ Crone, three home runs in three games for him as he goes deep off of Michael Waco. Didn't look sharp, but he got the win, giving up four runs over the course of six innings, including that homer from there. Tim Hill, Stephen Wilson, Josh Hader, scoreless, seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. The LA Dodgers, they completely took it to the Arizona and Diamondbacks, 10 to 1 the final. Mad Bum looked like, well, a bum. Five runs surrendered, given up in four innings, and the Diamondbacks were out there, four pitchers. All four gave up a home run, as three of those were provided by Trace Thompson. First, second, and third home runs of the season, then J.D. Martinez, his first as an L.A. Dodger, as Kevin Ginkle gave up one of those. He gave up three runs in an end. Cole Sulzer gives up a solo home run over the course of two innings, so not a bad appearance there. And then Carlos Vargas gives up a solo home run over the course of an inning. Christian Walker was the lone form of offense for Arizona. He takes Clayton Kershaw deep for his first of the campaign, as Kershaw, very good in this game, does give up the solo home run, but gives up just one run in six innings, including nine punch outs before you get three scoreless innings out of Andre Jackson. And on this podcast, all Andres, they're nicknamed 3,000. So Andre 3,000 Jackson, three scoreless innings. And you had the Cincinnati Reds be able to get the job done against the Pittsburgh Pirates, 62 the final. The ancient one, Rich Hill. Honestly, not the world's worst start. Three runs surrendered over the course of five innings, including a pair of homers, as you had Kevin Newman get his first home run season along Jonathan India, and then Jake Fraley. A little bit later on, he takes Chase DeYoung deep for his first, as DeYoung gives up three runs over the course of two innings, including that bomb, and then you do get a scoreless inning out of Jose Hernandez, and for the Pirates, they go three of seven with men in scoring position, but they only muster two runs, as Nick Lodolo was under quite a bit of pressure in this game. Seven hits, two walks, rendered in five innings, but only gives up two runs. From there, Ian Gabo gives you a scoreless inning. Revier and Martin, Buck Farmer combined for two scoreless innings, and Alexis Diaz closes the door with a scoreless ninth inning. You did see the Seattle Mariners get blanked as well, 2-0. The Cleveland Guardians able to get it done as Aaron Savali, very good in this one. Seven scoreless innings before James Karen check Emmanuel Classe provide a scoreless inning in for Cleveland. Two hits were able to provide all that they needed as Josh Naylor, he goes deep off of Logan Gilbert for his first home run season, then Diego Casillo gives one up to Andre Jimenez for his first as for Gilbert, tough luck loss. I mean, he gives up that solo home run over the course of six innings. Diego Casillo, he goes in inning giving up that solo home run. You had from there Matthew Festa and Gabe Spear both give you a scoreless inning, but for Seattle, absolutely nothing doing on offense. They had th- just three total hits in this one. Whole heck of a lot doing for the Tampa Bay Rays on offense. 12-2, they were able to take down the Detroit Tigers as Spencer Turnbull is first starting the big league since the 2021 campaign, I believe. You might even need to go back to the 2020 season. It had been a while for him, and, well, he was greeted very, very rudely. He got seven outs, and he gave up seven runs. From there, you did have an out out of the bullpen provided by Trey Wingenter. He gave up a run along the way. Tyler Alexander had to hold down the fourth three in the third innings, giving up two runs, including a homer. Garrett Hill gives up two runs in an inning before Jose Cicerno was able to stable the ship. He gave up nothing in his inning of work as the Rays went 8 of 16 with men in scoring position. 
Yandy Diaz was the man that hit the home run for the Rays his first of the campaign at Zach Eflin. Pretty Eflin good. One run surrendered in five innings. You had one run given up in two innings by Kevin Kelly. From there, Garrett Clevenger and Kelvin Futcher were both able to supply a scoreless inning. The Red Sox and the Orioles played another harebrained game as well. 9-8. Boston able to get it done against Baltimore. As Baltimore had a very sizable lead in this one, as a matter of fact. Yeah, at one point, we're leading by kind of 7-1, to and that went away. Baltimore's forte last year was the bullpen, and the bullpen was very much on call in this one. As Dean Kremer, he gives up five runs in three innings, including a pair of ding-dongs as you had Adam Duvall take him deep in the third inning for his first home run of the season. He would go deep a little bit later on in the game as Alex Verdugo also took him deep. And then for the second home run of Adam Duvall, that came off of Felix Batista in the ninth inning. And I do believe that that was of the walk-off variety as Batista, who was rock solid all year last year, gives up that home run. Two runs surrendered in two-thirds of an inning, but they were both unearned. Uh, Ryan McKenna fielding here pretty much costed the Baltimore Orioles the game this one. As Mike Bauman, Danny Columbi both provided scoreless saying you did have Austin Voth give up a home run along the way, as I believe that that was to Kike Hernandez for his first home run season. You also did have Cino Perez give up a run in an inning, but Logie Gillespie, Keegan Aiken, was able to keep it scoreless and for the Baltimore Orioles. They get eight runs despite going one of ten with men in scoring position as they had a trio of home runs as Cedric Mullins along with Austin the Sayers kid and Ryan Mountcastle all take Mr. Chris Sale deep as for all three of these guys, their first home runs of the season and for Sale, he got destroyed. Seven runs given up in three innings including three Jacksons, but Josh Winkowski, two scoreless innings, John Schreiber, Chris Martin, Kenley Jackson all provide a scoreless inning and Zach Kelly. He was able to go in and giving up a run along the way. So we saw a very zany and harebrained day in college basketball on Saturday. If you're looking at the entirety of the season, relatively equal in terms of overs to unders. As I am doing this with the data available, 16 overs, 15 unders, and a push. I think that they might be leaving out some of the West Coast games. And I think we had two overs and one unders along the way. So we're a little bit to the over right now, but nothing overly demonstrative. And in the first 32 games of the season, we've been seeing quite good results for the road team as road teams are 7-15 straight up to begin the season. And if you just take a look at what we were able to get on Saturday, Saturday provided seven overs, seven unders, and a push. Meanwhile, road teams, they went nine and six straight up. So that's what we're seeing in baseball right now. And that's what we all got on Major League Baseball on Saturday. And coming up next, right here on the Baseball Betting Show, we're going to be talking a little NL East. We're going to be talking some Cardinals and so much more with our good friend Matt Pauly right here on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Great to be joined by this man as he's one of the best at covering the NL Central. At this time last year, I know that he was doing a lot of work with the Milwaukee Brewers. Now you're able to catch him out there in the great state of Missouri as he hosts the show, The Sports opening line that is over on 1120 AM, 987 FM, KMOX. And he is the studio host for the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network, a man that does a great job following baseball all throughout the year. It is Matt Polly joining me, and you're able to follow him on Twitter at Matt Polly on air. Polly spelled P A U L E Y, and Matt 
always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, you bet, Greg. Thanks for uh, having me on. I always enjoy our conversations. I always enjoy it as well. And Matt, we're doing this before we know the outcome of the Saturday game for the St. Louis Cardinals. But what did you gather from them opening day? Because no doubt about it, the St. Louis Cardinals opening day looked very solid with their offense. But I do think the question mark for the St. Louis Cardinals team is a little bit more in their bullpen because we saw Ryan Helsley be really good throughout much of the year last year, but he sort of tapered off in that postseason game, and he really acted up a little bit towards the back half of that game against the Blue Jays, and I feel like they're trying to mix and match with some younger guys in that bullpen to go along with he and Giovanni Gallegos. Yeah, I think it's right, and we saw some soft contact. I'm not trying to make excuses because we certainly saw some hard contact as well. We did see some soft contact. I think everybody right now is kind of learning what it's going to be like without the overshift and how much uh, contact is going to make its way through. It's so early. Like, I think there's a lot of potential with a lot of these bullpen guys for the Cardinals. You specifically mentioned Ryan Helsley. So Helsley did. He had that... he did not look good right at the end of the regular season last year. And then obviously had the really bad appearance against the Philadelphia Phillies. And we had not seen him since then. Uh, Guys who throw hard like that, sometimes there is a little bit of a shelf life on them. He's also somebody that they're very careful in terms of not having him pitch back-to-back days very often, which is not a perfect situation when you're talking about a closer. So if you're not going to have Helsley going back-to-back very often, there's got to be other individuals who can go out there and and close. And it, it just feels like the bullpen is kind of a a work in progress maybe not so much about the guys who are in the bullpen I think they're going to be able to put together good results with those guys but it feels like their roles are still being defined absolutely and there's a lot of teams that are going to be going through that as well but while we talk about the bullpen maybe having some things to figure out Really love what I saw out of the offense of the St. Louis Cardinals, and I think that we both know that Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, these guys are going to hit. That's not a shocker, but what I think is very intriguing with the Cardinals is all their young outfielders because they bring in someone like a Jordan Walker, a young 20-year-old that has a lot of promise. They've got Tyler O'Neill, who's he's still very young in my opinion. Lars Newbar is someone that's able to develop, and I think that that's the biggest upside that the St. Louis Cardinals have. They've done a great job with their farm system, and if these guys are able to boom during the regular season, I think that that would be massive for them, being able to not just win the NL Central, but being able to do damage when it comes to October. Yeah, I love this team's offense. I love it from a high-end potential when you can have a 3-4-5 of Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Contreras, and then I love it from a roster depth standpoint. You've got Tommy Edmond as your number nine hitter in that opening day lineup, and you got Brendan Donovan, a guy who showed a lot of power during the spring and, and followed that up with an opening day home run in that leadoff spot and then you're able to kind of mix and match here's a name that is not being talked about nationally is being talked about locally in st louis so if you've got people who are uh, are, are fantasy baseball players who listen to your podcast i think one kind of under the radar name that might be worth keeping an eye on is nolan gorman gorman is somebody who last year was considered one of the top prospects in the organization hit a wall when he got to the big leagues after a little bit of success all of a sudden they started pitching him a bit differently. They were pitching him high and he had a hard time hitting much at the top of the zone. He completely redid his swing. The Cardinals gave him some very specific instructions going into the offseason on some things they wanted him to do and he came back in spring and did exactly what they asked him to do. If there's one player on this roster who I think is going to surprise in a good way, it's Nolan Gorman. I think he could have a real impact. But the lineup depth, I think the depth of this lineup, I know I cover the team and I know I work for the Cardinals radio network 
work. I, I get all of that, but Greg, I really believe that the depth of this lineup can stand up with the depth of just about any other lineup in Major League Baseball. I totally agree with you, and especially in an NL Central where I take a look at the other lineups and I like the moves that the Cubs made in the offseason. Picking up a guy like Dansby Swanson is terrific. Cody Bellinger on sort of a buy-low sort of spot, even if Bellinger does not become anywhere near the MVP guy that he was a few seasons ago. Bringing him in on a sort of a buy-low, see-what-you-can-get sort of deal there, I think is very solid. But I think that the Cardinals by far have the best offense out there in the NL Central. I do think that they're the team to beat as joining me on the podcast. We do have Matt Paul, who does great work as the in-studio host on the St. Louis Cardinals radio network. And Matt, when you take a look at the NL Central, who do you think could be the biggest competition in the St. Louis Cardinals? Because normally I would say the Milwaukee Brewers, but I'm not going to be saying this because we saw the Chicago Cubs win game number one against the Brewers. But even coming into the year, I like what the Cubs did. Meanwhile, with the Brewers, they just don't look like the same team with not having guys that are able to move the line. And no doubt about it, a diminished bullpen with not, no longer having Josh Hader. Yeah, I'm with you, and I've been saying it all offseason long. Now, the Brewers' top of the rotation is arguably, not arguably, it is the best top of the rotation in the division when you've got Burns and Woodruff. But outside of that, like offensively, they may take a step back from, from even last year, and they did not take a step forward last year. I don't like the Brewers that much, and I don't know what the temperature is inside of that clubhouse coming off the Hader trade last year and then what happened this year with Corbin Burns and the arbitration situation, it just, it feels like there's a lot of negativity. There's a dark cloud. Now, Craig Council is a spectacular manager. He's one of the best managers in all of baseball. And his job is to kind of insulate that clubhouse from everything that's going on outside of it. And I think he's going to be able to do a, a pretty good job at that because I think the world of Craig Council is a manager, but I don't think the world of that team, you're right, the Cubs made some really nice moves. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between the Cubs and the Brewers. I'm not sure if either of those teams is even a 500 club, but I've been saying for a while that the Cardinals should win this division fairly easily, and I think the Cubs are going to finish in second place, and I think the Brewers are going to be the third place club. Totally agree with you there. I do think that this is a Cubs team that they made some nice moves in the offseason, and it's a Brewers team that they really didn't make some nice moves. And one thing that I love about the Cardinals as well is they always do a tremendous job of being able to make those trade deadline acquisitions, and the big one from last year was Jordan Montgomery, and he's going to be taking the hill on Sunday. What are your overall expectations for him this year? Because with him, he really burst onto the scene with the St. Louis Cardinals, had those great eight or nine starts to begin. Things did taper off a little bit more from towards back half of 2022, but no question, he was a valuable acquisition for the St. Louis Cardinals. And I think that really the rotation of the Cardinals are reliant upon him being very solid in the middle of it. Who said it? So in August last year, which was his first full month with the Cardinals, he appeared in four games and had a 176 ERA. And then he even continued that good run into September where he gave up one run between his first two starts of September, which covered 12 and two thirds innings. Then all of a sudden he did start to taper off where he gave up three runs or more in his final three starts in September. And he finished with a 4.67 ERA in the month of September. And again, that 
included 12 and two-thirds innings of giving up just one run in those first two starts. So the numbers were even worse when you looked at just his final three starts in September. The Cardinals really believe in this guy, and they think that who they saw in the month of August with that sub-two ERA is closer to who he is than the guy who had five-plus ERA in those final three games of uh, of September. He's a really big part of this, but, but Greg, honestly, like all the starters, Stephen Matz has as good a stuff as anybody outside of Jack Flaherty. And when Adam Wainwright's healthy, he can go out there and just be that old guy who controls the game. I understand what you're saying about Jordan Montgomery being one of the big keys for this team. I would argue all the starters are because the ceilings on these starters are pretty high. Montgomery's got a high ceiling. Matt's has a high ceiling. Maybe not so much Woodford. He hasn't done anything in his major league career except get guys out. And he has, he was spectacular in spring. You just don't know for sure who he's going to be being as young of a player as he is. And then Michaelis is somebody who was an all-star last year was in the WBC. It's a bunch of guys outside of Flaherty that it doesn't feel like they're ace-level pitchers, but it feels like they've got the opportunity to be really good. I keep telling people, this is a starting rotation that is built perfectly for a 162-game regular season because every single one of these guys is going to give you an opportunity to win every game they pitch. It becomes a bit of a different question once the team does get into the postseason, assuming that they do, because then all of a sudden, Flaherty's the one guy on the staff who has the potential and the ability to have ace-level stuff, but they don't have another guy like that. So when you're looking at the Braves and the Phillies and the Dodgers and the Padres and the Mets, and you know the guys that they're throwing out one, two, or even sometimes one, two, three, I think that's where the Cardinals have a hard time holding up with some of the other teams. Yeah, no doubt about it. It's not like they've got some sort of a Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola one-two combo like the Phillies had going into the World Series last year, but it's one of those where I always use this in college basketball when you've got a bunch of relative equals where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts when it comes to this rotation because you mentioned it. Every single one of these guys are going to deliver a good start. None of these guys are going to be up for the Cy Young Award this year or anything like that. So I think that that's very well put as we do have Matt Pauley joining me right here on the podcast. And Matt, I know you do a great job taking a look at the entire scope of baseball. No doubt about it, your main beat is on the St. Louis Cardinals, but was there maybe a team or two that coming into the season with your evaluations that you were either a little bit bullish or a little bit bearish on compared to most, and you think that they're going to be in for a little bit of a surprise season? I'm not going to make a big prediction. I'm curious on the Mets. It feels like when teams go out and just spend like look at the angels right like the angels have not, not so much now but the angels have historically like going back to the pool holes deal and even going and getting otani and trout to a certain extent they've spent a ton of money but it feels like they haven't done a great job of putting the team together now that's an extreme I, i'm this is not an apples to apples comparison when on the mets but the mets it feels like have kind of prioritized spending money first and being a solid baseball operation second. And maybe I've got that wrong because I'm sitting here in St. Louis, and if I was more up close to the Mets, maybe I would disagree with what I'm saying. Maybe many of your listeners who are Mets Mets fans think I have no clue what I'm talking about right now, which may be the case. But the Mets have gone and thrown around so much money. I'm really curious if they did it in a way that's building a complete team. Now, that being said, I really think the playoff teams are, are basically set for this season. When you look at... Uh, the Braves and the Mets and the Phillies in the East, the Cardinals in the Central, the Dodgers and the Padres in the West. I have a hard time believing 
any of those teams are not going to be a playoff team, even if I kind of undervalue the Mets a little bit. I don't think they're going to be that dominant team that a lot of people think they're going to be based upon the money that they've spent. And I think that's so interesting that you bring up that you think that the teams are relatively set in the National League in terms of playoffs. Do you think it might be a little bit more open out there in the American League? Because I do think that with the more balanced schedule now, with all these teams playing each other, I think that when it comes to like the American League East, teams like the Baltimore Orioles that would typically have to face off against the Yankees 19 times, the Toronto Blue Jays 19 times, that that could be able to help them be able to catapult themselves up for a little bit of a playoff run as well. And I think that that is really going to cause for more shakeup when it comes to these American League teams because I do think that we could see some surprises out there. Yeah, there's a lot of American League teams that could make the playoffs this year, whether it's by winning the division or by getting a wild card. I mean, you look you look at the entire American League East, and I think you can find an argument for any of those teams being a playoff team this year. There are some teams, obviously, that are not going to be in just going into the season, but like go up and down the American League, and for most teams, you can make the argument of why this is a club that at the very least could nab one of those final wildcard spots. It's very, it's, it's interesting that in the National League, like the exact number of playoff teams are basically the teams are built to be in the playoffs. I guess maybe we could argue the San Francisco Giants a little bit, even though they had a tough offseason, where in the American League, it's the exact opposite. It just feels like just about any team could be a playoff team this year. I think that it's going to be so interesting to take a look at and one of those American League teams I am very bullish on. The Cardinals are taking on in the Blue Jays. And how good do you think that it is that the Cardinals are getting this stiff of a test early on during the season? Because I take a look at the Blue Jays and it's a very complete team. As we're doing this for Saturday, they're going to have to face off against Kevin Gosman, who had the best fielding independent among qualifying starters in the American League. They're a team that they revamped themselves really well. And I feel like if the Cardinals are able to squeeze out a few wins this weekend, that puts themselves in really good footing because I think the Blue Jays are one of the best teams that they're going to face all year. Yeah, I like this Toronto team a lot. I like who they are offensively. They have enough pitching. They're deep. There are some similarities between these two teams. The difference is the division that they play in. The Cardinals can have a lot of things go wrong and still probably win the Central. Any of those teams in the East, if something goes terribly wrong, you could find yourself in quite the hole in the early going. So that's the one difference I see. It's just the division that you play in, and they have absolutely no control over that. I like this Toronto team. I know you're talking to me, but let me ask you, who do you think the best team in the AL East is? I would honestly probably go with the Blue Jays. Okay. Yeah, it's probably the Yankees or the Blue Jays. We saw what Baltimore did last year. Boston's got some pieces. Tampa's always Tampa. Again, going back to what I said earlier, like I, I, we just did it. We can sit here and make the argument for any of these five teams finding a way into the playoffs. Yep, absolutely. That American League East is going to be rock solid, and the St. Louis Cardinals getting a test this weekend against the Blue Jays, I think that they are going to be better for it long term, and We are always better when you join this podcast, Matt. You do absolutely amazing work as the studio host for the St. Louis Cardinals. I know you do the sports opening line over there at KMOX. You do an amazing job following the great game of baseball. Like I said, a little bit more of a Cardinals beat, but you do a great job of following all 30 teams. So let the good people at home know what's all on tap for you 
and how people can follow along on social media and other platforms. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Do a lot of Cardinals stuff uh, on the Cardinals Radio Network. We podcast most of our stuff at KMOX.com. We have a Cardinals Conversations podcast feed, so some of that stuff is stuff we do on air. We also produce some exclusive contest uh, content just for that. So for Cardinals fans who want more stuff, KMOX.com, the Odyssey app, and uh, find the Cardinals Conversations podcast feed. Everything we're doing at KMOX Cardinals related, you can find right there, including, I should mention this, we're trying to push this a little bit more. After every single game, uh, we have the highlight segment. So if you want to hear those calls with John Rooney and Ricky Horton, the voices of the Cardinals, uh, we go back through the games with the highlights and we always podcast those uh, highlight segments after each game. So you can relive the game even if you can't listen to the whole thing. And Matt does absolutely amazing work taking a look at the great game of baseball. Every single time he joins this podcast, he lends tremendous insights, and it is always great to get him aboard. A big thanks to Matt for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Always great to get Matt Polly aboard. He does great work. Over with the Seattle Cardinals Radio Network, doing a lot of their pre- and post-game hosting, and I know that he is very hard at work taking a look at what we're all going to be getting this baseball season. He does an absolutely incredible job of covering all 30 teams, obviously. His main beat is on the Cardinals, but has joined me for quite a while, going all the way back to his time with the Milwaukee Brewers, and it's always appreciated whenever we're able to get his insights. So, big thanks to Matt for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Sunday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. You note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNNRS41, and we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation, or this is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, any interleague games, those are going to be at the bottom, and from there, it is in time order. Sometimes you get a few games that start at the same time, which does make things a little bit difficult. I'm not sure what they do when it's the exact same time on these games, but that said, much easier to follow than something like, oh, I don't know, college basketball. So let's get things started with 901-902 on the betting board. It is the Atlanta Braves, and they hit their face off against the Washington Nationals. Mackenzie Gore going for the Nats. Jared Schuster is going to be going for Atlanta and the Bravos between minus 180 and minus 195 favorites. And between plus 155 and plus 172 is your number on the Nationals. Total is 9 over and under anywhere between minus 105 
and minus 115. And with the Washington Nationals, I did need at least a plus 172 to take a shot. We're right here at plus 172. So as long as this could stay rather stagnant, would like to be able to maybe get this closer to a plus 175. But I am right now looking at a Washington Nationals bet. And if you are taking a look at the run line in this spot as well, you're finding the Atlanta Braves more around a minus 115. Typically, this is a circumstance where I either take a look at the run line of the favorite or I take a look at the plus money on the underdog and I was only willing to lay up to a minus 110 on the Braves run line so with that currently at a minus 115 I am looking at the Nationals right now I'll be seeing how this progresses in the AM but at current numbers we'll be taking the plus 172 with Washington because I'm a little bit of a believer in Mackenzie Gore he had some really nice starts towards the beginning part of the season last year with the San Diego Padres flamed out towards back half of the season he was clearly not himself they pushed him to the bullpen he was not good in the bullpen but if you take a look prior to the month of July this guy was actually actually very rock solid. He had a 3.34 ERA in the first three months of the season, was able to get things rocking and rolling, and then things were just a little bit downhill from there, but actually pitched better away from San Diego than he did away from home because he got acquired in part of the Juan Soto deal. 3.44 ERA on the road, gave up four home runs in 36 and two-thirds innings. Lots of upside there. Jared Schuster, he had a sub-250 ERA during the spring training period and he really showed out well as a minor leaguer and I do think that he's got a lot of upside moving forward and he's backed up by a bullpen that is aging but a bullpen that is relatively rock solid as you've got Jesse Chavez who's very long in the tooth and they are going to be without Tyler Manson for quite a while. They pick up someone like a Lucas Lutke, who I always liked when he was with the New York Yankees. Joey Menez, I do think he's going to be able to offer some upside as well. But if you take a look at the numbers, when Schuster was at Gwinnett last year, their AAA affiliate, it was a 425 ERA. He's a relatively solid strikeout guy at the minor league level. Right around 10 strikeouts per nine innings, two and a half walks per nine innings. So nothing terrible. The big thing with him is not giving up a lot of hard contact. And this is a perfect first start for him to be making because he is going up against a Nationals team that it's got what it is. It's not one of the best lineups out there in the league, but at the same time, I do think that they are able to get to him a little bit because you had someone like a Joey Manessis last year really be able to step up as he was able to get well above a 300. I think that he's got a lot of upside for his team moving forward. Took him a while to get up to the big league level, but he's making the most of it. Kiber Ruiz is someone that I fully expect to continue to develop. Lane Thomas had a nice year last year, first full year at Washington. He had right around about a 240-ish, was able to give the team 17 home runs, so he was able to find his own. And then with the Atlanta Braves, we all know about this offense. Matt Olson he is currently ripping the cover off the ball. He's already got two home runs, looked terrific in spring training, and he is carrying that into the regular season. Sure, I'm sorry, Darno, I recognize that it's just two games in, but he's been off to a hot start, and the, really the only thing that has been slowing him down is injuries. Ronald Acuna Jr. looks like he's getting back to form as well. Eddie Rosario, it's been a little bit rough for him the last few seasons, but very fearsome lineup. But for the Washington Nationals, bullpen is not the worst. I'm not saying that this is like the world's greatest bullpen or anything like that, but you know what? You've got someone like a Mason Thompson who was able to post up a sub-3 ERA last year. Erasmo Ramirez is able to give you multiple innings. Anthony Banda, not sure what to expect there. Never been too high on him, but Carl Edwards Jr. is someone that I do like. So I do think that this number is starting to get a little bit out of whack on the Atlanta Braves. I think that Gore has just had a little bit more of an advanced form than Schuster. Schuster had a nice spring training, but really didn't put it together at the AAA level. I did set my 
my total at an 8.8. Well, she did does have a little bit of a rough go of it with regards to their offense. I do think that Gore is actually going to do a nice job against this Atlanta Braves offense. I'm willing to take an eye and under, but with the Nationals at plus 172 or more, going to be looking at their money line to go along with this total under. 903-904 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins play us to the New York Metropolitan as Trevor Rogers. He's in the neighborhood for the Marlins, and Kodai Senga makes his debut for the Metropolitan, says the Mets are between a minus 118 to a minus 120 favorite, and when it comes to the fish, anywhere between even money and plus 110, 7.5 to 8 is your total on the 7.5, over is minus 120, the under is even. On the 8, the under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120, and the over, that is anywhere between even and minus 105, and with the Mets, I did set them as a minus 133 favorite. I'm going to be willing to ride with the gentleman that comes over from Japan as he's a relatively wily guy, 30 years old. He spent a lot of time with the Fukuoka SoftBank Hawks, had a buck 94 ERA in the Nippon Baseball League last season, and has always been a high strikeout guy in comparison to Japan levels. If you're able to get 10 strikeouts per nine innings in the Nippon Baseball League, that's actually really, really good because in Japanese baseball, in the KBO, strikeouts are much lower than they are here in the States, and I do think that that really says something. I like the way that he was able to perform when we were able to see him during the spring, and I think that that's big on top of that. Trevor Rogers just did not look like himself in spring training last year. The bottom completely fell out on him. 547 ERA was really good during the 2020 and 2021 campaigns and then went down the toilet bowl last year. In his 11 home starts, he had a 594 ERA. I'm not sure if there's something wrong with him or something because he spent some time on the injured list, but looked like it wasn't prepared during spring, so that's not great. He gave up about 1.3 home runs per nine innings last season and Hard to think that we're going to be seeing much to the contrary as you do have a New York Mets lineup that they weren't able to get things going when I took them with the DK Nation pick on Friday. But all in all, it is a solid lineup. Jeff McNeil hit above a 300 last year. Pete Alonso had 23 home runs on the road last year, 40 overall. You've got someone like a Marcano who's able to do a good job of moving the line. Eduardo Escobar, a little bit of a shaky start to begin the year, but I think that he's going to be able to pick it up. And for Miami, this is an improved offense of their own. They pick up Luis Varias, who was able to hit above a 300 last year. You've got Gene Segura who's able to fortify things, not necessarily much of power bats, but guys are able to just get on base, which is big because Miami it is one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks out there in the big leagues. We saw Ode Soler look a little bit better in the first few games of this series as he had a home run on Friday. He had a 40 six home run season when he was with the Royals a few campaigns ago, but the big thing for the Miami Marlins is that you also have by far the worst bullpen in this game, as I like the fact that they picked up A.J. Puck. Uskar Brazobin has a little bit of upside, but Matt Barnes is not someone that you want to be trusting in whatsoever. Joan Floro has never necessarily been great. J.T. Charcoal, I think, is a little bit of a feisty ad, but he's starting to get up there in years, and for the Mets, even though they're without Edwin Diaz, they're without Seth Lugo, I do like the fact that they bring in David Robertson to be able to hold down the fort. Tommy Hunter is someone I think is an underrated reliever for this team, so I do think that you've got a better bullpen with the New York Mets. I do think that Senga is going to perform very well here in the States, and being able to go up against a Miami team that really doesn't crank guys deep, I do think that this is a good spot for the New York Metropolitans. I did set my total at 7.7, very pitcher-friendly ballpark. Here at an 8, I'm going to be willing to dive under, and with the Mets, one to lay up to minus 132 with them, so getting them right around minus 120, taking the Mets, and they get a look at this total under. 905-906 on the betting board. It is a Pittsburgh Pirates in the road face out against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're on to Graham Ashcraft getting the start for them, and 
Vince Velasquez goes for the Buccos. The Buccos walk the plank as a plus 115 to a plus 122 underdog. Minus 130 to minus 135. Your number on Cincinnati and anywhere between 8.5 and, and 9 is your total. On the 8.5 overs minus 120. The unders even on the 9. Unders between minus 120 and minus 125. Overs between even and plus 105. Set my total at an 8.8. I would rather have an 8.5 over rather than a 9 under because you have a Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen that it's hard to really trust. J.C. Young is someone that I actually really like for this team, but he had to pitch yesterday, which that puts you behind the 8-ball even more. David Benner has been relatively okay, but Dory Moretta throwing there Dwayne Underwood Jr., Rob Stanaski. It's like a last name that starts with a Z and has a bunch of consonants that you can't pronounce. These guys are all very untrustworthy. I will say Red's bullpen is actually not bad. It's a very underrated one. It turns back half last year. It was one of the better ones in the big leagues. Fernando Cruz had a sub-2 ERA last year along with Alexis Diaz. You've been able to get some good innings out of Alex Young in recent years. Joel Kuno was able to provide a little bit of upside as well. And then when you've got Graham Ashcraft out there, you know that he's going to do a solid job of just holding down the fort. Not walking a lot of guys. Right around about 2.6 walks per nine innings. He is able to induce soft contact, giving up about a home run per nine innings last year. Not much of a strikeout guy. He's only able to give you about six or so strikeouts per nine innings. And, well, he's not Vince Velasquez. And that's one of the best things that you're able to say about him. Velasquez spent time as a long reliever and a starter last year with the Chicago White Sox. He always gets cranked deep, right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings, worth the three walks per nine innings, and I mean, there are just sometimes, there are flashes where Vince Velasquez looks like a competent pitcher, and then from there, goes straight down the toilet bowl, and for the Pittsburgh Pirates, there's just a lot of gambling with regards to this lineup, because you've got Onyo Cruz, who, he's had a nice first two games of the season, and he's got the power to be a 30-35 home run guy, but he strikes out way too much early part of his career. Brian Hayes, Brian Reynolds, both of these guys, probably north of a 250. They bring back Andrew McCutcheon, but Andrew McCutcheon, he's now 36 years old. This is not the Andrew McCutcheon of yesteryear. Rodolfo Castro doesn't do a good job of being able to get on base. The bottom of the lineup, bottom three hitters, are all pretty much dead bats for the Pirates. And then you do have a red team that they're in quite a bit of a rebuild as well with regards to their lineup. Jonathan India at the top, he's able to get on base. They signed Bo Myers in the offseason. That should be able to help him out, but he's been very inconsistent in recent years. You need someone like Stuart Fairchild to be able to elevate. You've got someone like an Jose Barrero, who towards the back half of last season was able to play a little bit better. You take a look at what he was able to do the last three days of the season. He was able to drive in a few runs, but he is much more noted for his defense rather than his offense. Jake Fraley had a few home runs, but these are a pair of offenses that aren't necessarily great, but I have absolutely no faith whatsoever here in Vince Velasquez, and I have no faith whatsoever in this Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen, coupled that with the fact that Cincinnati is a very hitter-friendly ballpark. That is why I do lean to the 8.5 over a little bit more than the 9 under, just because even though the Reds aren't great with their lineup, it is a Pittsburgh Pirates bunch that, well, they just don't have a lot of good arms, and with these Cincinnati Reds, I do think that they have a clear leg up. I did set them at a minus 151 on the money line. Round line, you're only getting right around a plus 140. It's a little bit chalky, but I'm going to just ride with the money line because I would need more like a plus 145, plus 150 to take this front line. So, looking at the Reds' money line and at an 8.5 or less, looking at the over. 907, 908 on the betting board. The Milwaukee Brewers are going to be on the road facing off against the Chicago Cubs. Jameson Tyon is going to be going for the Cubs and Eric Lauer Power is going to be on the bump for Milwaukee. There is no total up on this game. 
Happens very often with Wrigley Field games. They are going to be checking the wind, see how that looks. So we've got no total up, but we do have money lines with the Cubs. They're between minus 115 and minus 122. And we're between plus 105 and plus 112 is your number on the Milwaukee Brewers. And taking a look at the wind that we are going to be getting on Sunday, it is going to be blowing out, and it is going to be blowing out at about 15 miles per hour. So you got yourself some very heavy winds there, and and it's a big reason why I did set this total quite high. I set my total at 10.3. I recognize that the Brewers needed 17 runs in order to be able to generate any sort of offense whatsoever. But I take a look at this spot, and I think that's going to be rough for both of these pitchers. And Jameson Dion, not necessarily the world's greatest swing and miss guy. Eric Lauer, he gets some swings and misses, but Eric Lauer does give up some hard contact as well, which is why a 10 or less, I'm looking at the over a 10.5 or higher. I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. And with the Cubs, I'm going to lay up to minus 124 with them. Eric Lauer just did not look good towards back half of the season last year. And this is someone that just did not pitch well away from Milwaukee. 256 home ERA, 476 ERA on the road. And I mentioned the fact that he gives up the deep ball. 27 ding-dongs and 158 and two-thirds innings last year. And on the road, north of 1.8 home runs surrendered per nine innings. That is not good at all. So that's a bit of an issue. You've got a Chicago Cubs lineup as well. But it is fortified. We were talking about it with Matt Pauly. I like the moves that they make. You've got guys like a Nico Horner that are able to move the line. I do think that if you can get Nick Madrigal some at-bats, that is going to be good. But they bring in Dancy Swanson. He starts out the year six out of his first eight. He was able to hit 25 home runs last season. Eric Hosmer, I recognize they got completely overpaid by the San Diego Padres, but at the same time, this is still a relatively professional bat. You're gambling on Cody Bellinger. He's come up snake eyes thus far this year, but it's a little bit of a by-low spot. And hey, they, they employed Jason Hayward last year, so there's that. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got really not the world's greatest line of proud detail as he was able to hit north of 30 home runs last year, but was hitting right around 225. Can Willie Adamas refine the form that he had in 2021? That's a question because he was really good that year. He had 20 bombs. He was able to 285 in a Milwaukee Brewers uniform, but other than that, he has not been able to get it going for the entirety of his career. You've got behind the dish a guy in William Contreras that it remains to be seen what he's going to provide. Christian Yelich is not looking like that MVP guy. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, they completely tanked their bullpen with the trade of Josh Hader. Now you're going to be relying upon Gus Varlin for innings. Hobie Milner. This is not a place where you want to be. Joel Pions, Peter Serzelski are not bad behind Devin Williams. But for the Chicago Cubs, I do like some of the moves that they made. They bring in Michael Fulmer. They bring in Brad Boxberger, who is ironically enough on the Milwaukee Brewers last year to be able to fortify things. Michael Rucker and company, not necessarily too terrific. But I do think that Jameis Tyon could be able to do a relatively solid job here. As I alluded to, not necessarily a high strikeout guy. His strikeouts per nine rate was just above 7.5 last season, but I do think that he's going to be able to do a solid job just because he gave up about 1.7 walks per nine innings. He's very good with that regard, and it should be a confidence booster for him going up against the Milwaukee Brewers lineup that, let's call what it is, not great right now. I set the Cubs as a minus 124 favorite, so seeing right around about a minus 115, minus 120, going to be one to lay it in. Like I said, 10 or less, looking at this total over 10 and a half higher, looking at this total under, reason why the total is currently not up. Bookmakers always hold off on the Wrigley Field wind to post a total. 909-910 on the betting board. This is going to be the DK Nation pick as we got the Arizona Diamondbacks in the road faceoff against the LA Dodgers. Noah Thor Syndergaard is going to be going for the Dodgers and Zach Davies is going to be going for Arizona. And between 8.5 and, and 9 is your total on the 9. The under is between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between even and minus 105 on the 8.5. Over is minus 120 and the under is even. 
with the Dodgers are between minus 175 and minus 190 favorites, anywhere between plus 150 and plus 160, your number on Arizona. Certainly hoping that I can get a 9 in this spot, but whether it is 8.5 or 9, my right up here is going to be on this total under because I set my total at 7.8. With the LA Dodgers, I think that they're going to be able to get the best out of North or Syndergaard this year, someone who was recovering from Jami John surgery last year, which I do think affected his numbers quite a bit. You saw him have a career low in strikeouts. He only got right around 6.3 strikeouts per nine innings. In his six seasons with the New York Mets, that was more around 9.7 strikeouts per nine innings. Posted up a 10-10 and record. He pitches best in the city of Los Angeles, which that's not saying a whole heck of a lot because now he is going to be at the other Los Angeles team began his season with the Angels last year, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of upside there. And then when it comes to the Arizona Diamondbacks, they got Zach Davies going towards the middle part of the season last year. First 10 starts of the year, he's posting up right around a 484 ERA. Opponents running about a 250 off of him. He was giving up quite a few walks per nine innings, and then he was able to reduce the walks a little bit. ERA, the final 17 starts, down to about a 365 with opponents batting average down to right around a 235, and they have fortified the bullpen behind them as well. They bring in someone in Miguel Castro who's not necessarily the world's greatest, but I mean, he's better than some of the schlubs that they had last season, so that's helpful. You still have Cole Solzer out there. That's not great, but Andrew Chafin, he had a sub-3 ERA. Kevin Ginkle actually came on towards the back half of the season last year, so that's rock solid for the years and the Diamondbacks and for the Dodgers. They lose a lot of their offensive pieces from last year. Gavin Lux, he's out to that torn ACL. Justin Turner down for what? He's no longer there, but those sneaky guys in the bullpen, a bullpen that led the National League with a 28070 ERA, they are back. Guys like Alex Vesey uh, throwing their Yancey Almonte. How about a little Evan Phillips action? These guys that you really don't think a lot about, they all had sub-3-4 ERAs, and they're all back in the fold. So I do like that about the LA Dodgers. And as I mentioned, it's a little bit of a diminished lineup this year. You still do have Mookie Betts at the top. You still have Freddie Freeman. These guys are going to hit north of 275. Betts had 35 home runs last season. They bring in J.D. Martinez, whose power numbers last year were down. He still is able to move the line, but... Max Muncy the last few years has not been great. Miguel Rujas does an okay job of moving the line, and I actually do like Trey Thompson. He hit right around about a 260 last season. Then for the Airs and the Diamondbacks, you don't necessarily have a ton of power outside of Christian Walker. Christian Walker was amazing last year, north of 30 home runs. They bring in Evan Longoria, who's a little bit hit or miss. When you've got guys like Alec Thomas, Nick Ahmed down towards the bottom of the fold, that does give you some free outs if you're a pitcher. Kyle Lewis comes in after he was a rookie of the year a few years ago with the Seattle Mariners, but we're going to need to see if he's able to have a career rebirth. I like Lourdes Gurriel as well. That's going to be good, but I do think that this has the makings of a lower scoring game. I do expect a little bit of a renaissance here for North or Syndergaard. He's backed up by a good bullpen. The Diamondbacks have fortified their bullpen, and for the LA Dodgers, it is not quite the same offense that we have seen in past years for them. So my right appears on the under. Hopefully I can get a 9, but if all I have is 8.5 available since I've got to use the DraftKings number, I am more than willing to still write that up as I did set my total at 7.8. With the Dodgers, I did set them as a minus 207 favorite, and if you're taking a look at the run line on them, you're able to get plus 115. They were really good at covering the run line last season. I did set them on the money line more on a minus 205, so I'm going to be willing to ride with the Dodgers on the run line, even though I do think it's going to be a tad bit of a lower scoring game. So, looking run line of the Dodgers to go along with this total under. 9-11, 9-12 on the bidding board. The Colorado Rockies hit the red face off against the Slam Diego Padres. Seth Lugo gets a start for the Padres, and 
Austin Gomber, one of my favorite names, goes for the Colorado Rockies. Eight is your total. Over is minus 120. The under is even. With San Diego, you're finding them between minus 210 and minus 225. Between plus 185 and plus 195, your number on Colorado. If you're looking at the run line of the San Diego Padres, you're going to be finding that more around a minus 115. And I'm going to dive in on the Colorado Rockies. One thing that always hurts the Colorado Rockies is those pesky home and road splits. When they go from elevation down to not being in elevation, they don't have to deal with that right now because they haven't played any series at Colorado, which is a big reason why. I do think that they were able to get the wins on Thursday and Friday. I think that their equilibrium not being thrown off quite yet is big, and we're seeing it with C.J. Crone, who had 29 home runs last year. Just seven of them came on the road, but he had two home runs in that opening day game. He looks very solid right now. You've got someone like a Charlie Blackman that does a good job of being a move line consistently. It's north of a 275. Ryan McMahon is able to provide a little bit of power, and they finally have Chris Bryan healthy. Guy that they spent hundreds of millions of dollars on last offseason, and they didn't get a lot out of him last year. Meanwhile, the San Diego Padres team, first two games of the season, they just look completely lost at the plate. Juan Soto has really not been good the last few years. He only hit about a 250 last year. He was able to get on base, but it's not like he had necessarily the world's most incredible numbers. Xander Bogarts, he had four hits in his first two games along with Austin Kim. These guys in the infield are looking very solid. You know that Manny Machado's going to pick it up, and he's going to hit, but Trent Grisham the last few years has not been good. It's a little bit of a roll of the dice with Austin Nolan. Nelson Cruz is 500 years old as well, and Matt Carpenter, he wasn't good before going to the Yankees last year. I don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him. For the Padres, Josh Hader is terrific in this bullpen. Luis Garcia, I like what he's able to bring to the table, but Domingo Tapia is a little bit of a hot mess. Hard to trust in Steven Wilson as well, so you do have some question marks when it comes to this San Diego Padres team. Meanwhile, for Colorado, it is very much a shaky bullpen. They are without Daniel Bard, which means that you're having to trust in guys like Ty Block, Jake Bird, along with Pierce Johnson, so... Not so terrific there. They do pick up Brent Suter, which I think is going to be able to help them out. And for Austin Gomber, it's going to be very intriguing to see how he responds after last year. He posted up a 5.56 ERA, got relegated to the bullpen about midway through the season. He was giving up in that neighborhood about 1.6 home runs per nine innings. So he was really up against it. But in his appearances against the Padres, pitched nine and a third innings, got a start in two relief appearances. He did only allow one run. Very small sample size there. But I've always been a little bit of a believer in Austin Gomber. I've probably been higher on him than most, but you also could probably expect a little bit more length out of him than Seth Lugo, who he's always been a reliever by trade. I know that they tried him out, I believe in 2020, as a little bit of a starter for the New York Mets, but you can't think that he's going to be necessarily going too deep, so I would expect Nabel Krismet to perhaps being a little bit of a long reliever for the team, and Lugo's not bad, but Lugo's not necessarily like amazing or anything like that either. He's able to get you a few strikeouts, but he does allow a little bit of hard contact, and I think that him going multiple times through the lineup, that is going to be a little bit of an issue. Should the Padres be a favorite here? Yes, but I do think that Colorado's home and road splits aren't as prevalent now as they would be in, say, June or July. So, it is a circumstance where I did set my total at 8.1. I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in these starters here in an 8. Looking at the over and with the Rockies, need at least a plus 180 to take a shot. We're at plus 185 to plus 190. So, right in with the Rockies and the over. 9-13, on the betting board. The Detroit Tigers hit the road face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. Jeffrey Springs goes for the Rays and Joey Wentz is on the bump for Detroit. 7.5 is your total. Under is minus 115. The over is minus 105. Anywhere between minus $2 and minus 210 is your price on Tampa Bay. Between plus 175 and plus 185 on Detroit. I made the Rays a minus 
minus 196 favorite on the money line. So here at $2, it's just a little bit too lofty. But uh, taking a look at the run line, I'm finding that anywhere between even money and plus 102 on the Tampa Bay Rays. And I made my run line minus 102. Not really willing to take anything less than even money on the Tampa Bay Rays run line. But I'm willing to take it because with Joey Wentz, there's just a big fear that he's not going to be able to live up to the stage because he made a few starts last year and he wasn't horrible in his starts. He had a 3.03 ERA. He went two and two across seven starts. He made mostly starts at home. Actually, did not give up a single earned run in 12 and a third innings on the road. But for one, very small sample size, and two, he didn't necessarily have good peripheral numbers because the ERA and everything looks all well and good, but. He gave up north of three walks per nine innings, his strikeouts per nine rate, that was right around seven and a half. And if you just take a look at the way that he performed at spring training, he had a 798 ERA, and last year at the minor league level, he posted up in the neighborhood about a three ERA, but once again, he did so with right around four walks per nine innings. So it's really hard to have faith in him. Meanwhile, I really like the way that Jeffrey Springs threw last year. He had a sub 250 ERA at home, a 223 ERA, giving up a little bit over a home run per nine innings. But you don't have to worry about as many home runs when you go up against, oh, I don't know, the poopy Detroit Tigers, who just don't supply any power whatsoever. Spencer Torkelson just has not been able to do it in a big league game, at the very least, that isn't spring training. So that's a little bit of an issue. I I do like the upside of Riley Green. He got a maze towards back half last season. It is a revenge game for Austin Meadows, who spent some time with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's already got four hits in this series, so I like the way that he's been able to operate, but this is just a rough Detroit Tigers lineup. If they're not the worst lineup in the league, they're in the bottom three, along with the bad Oakland A's. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, it's not like this team has a bunch of power hitters. Jose Siri on opening day was able to hit a home run. You love Wander Franco. You love Randy Rosarena. These guys get on base. They don't have supreme power, but they've got power. But Andy Diaz does a good job of being able to move the line for this team. I do think that being able to get back Brandon Lau is big for this team as well as he was missing much of the season last year. Manuel Margot, Harold Ramirez, these are more platoon guys. They're able to come in and they're able to give you professional bats. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, you've got a really nice bullpen with guys like Colin Pooch, Jason Adams, Jalen Beeks, throwing their Pete Fairbanks, all guys I expect to have a sub-3-5 ERA. And for the Detroit Tigers, they actually had a really nice bullpen last year with guys like Andrew Chafin, throw in there, Michael Fulmer, guys of that nature. And all those guys are now gone. Now you're having to rely upon Alex Lang, who was okay last year. Jose Cicerno, he was a little bit up and down. I did like what he was able to provide with right around a 3.65 ERA last season, but it is certainly quite a bit more slim pickings. They pick up Jason Shreve. He's been all over the place, so... Joey Wentz not necessarily backed up by the world's greatest bullpen. I do think that Jeffrey Springs is going to go out there. He is going to be relatively dominant, but I think that Wentz, if you just take a look at the way that he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts, the way that he does not do a good job of having command, and on top of that, he's not backed up by the world's greatest bullpen. That's going to cause for a little bit of a buck kicking in this spot, so even money or better, won't take the Tampa Bay Rays on the run line. 7 total is 7.7, so you're at 7.5. Also taking a look at this total over. 9.15, on the betting board. The Boston Red Sox play out to the Baltimore Orioles. Cole Irvin is going to be going for the Orioles, and Tanner Elk is on the bump for Boston. Boston is a favorite of any team, minus 135 and minus 145. Plus 115 and plus 130 is your number on Baltimore. 9 to 9.5 is your total on the 9.5. Under is minus 120. The over is even on the 9. 
Over is between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even minus 105. And with the Red Sox, set them at a minus 138 on the money line. I'm really not willing to go much more than the minus 135, which I am seeing at quite a few books. But I am willing to lay that minus 135. It's just really a fate of Cole Irvin being away from the Oakland A's. Because when he was in Oakland last year, this guy was complete and under magic. When this guy was away from home... He was getting tattooed. 307 home ERA with the Oakland A's last season. 526 ERA away from home. Six home runs at 105 and two-thirds innings in Oakland. 19 bombs at 75 and a third innings away from home. That's a moment road splits right there. And his opponent's batting average rose 69 points. Very nice. And got a Boston Red Sox team that has really been able to put bat to ball as each of the first two games. They've been able to do a nice job putting up nine runs apiece. And that is not going to be the issue with Boston. They do move on from J.D. Martinez, but they bring in Justin Turner down for what? He has looked very good. Not necessarily the world's greatest power guy, but does a nice job moving the line. Rafi Devers, he had 20-plus home runs. He did a great job moving the line last year. No issues there. Alex Verdugo at the top. He's able to get on base, and they are kicking the tires on Adam Duvall's at a couple lean years, but it looks like he's back to full form. I think that this ballpark suits him really well, and then for Baltimore, they got into that slugfest yesterday as well. Anthony Santander last season, he was able to supply 25-plus home runs. Got a guy in Ryan Mountcastle who was able to supply a good blend of power and average. Had right around 250 last year, was able to slug out 22 home runs. 33-bomb season before Adley Rushman. He had that 5-8 game to begin the season. Orde Mateo, one of the best base dealers in all baseball. Cedric Mullins does a good job of being able to get on base. So, got no shortage of weapons there. The big key for the Baltimore Orioles is that their bullpen last year was very surprising. They did trade away Ore Lopez towards back half of the year last year, but they really had to burn through their bullpen yesterday. Felix Batista, he had to get used of. CNL Perez, Danny Columbi, these are some of your most trustworthy guys. Meanwhile, with the Boston Red Sox, it's not like you were banking on the bullpen to start out with. These guys are all relatively terrible. They had to use up Kenley Jansen yesterday. Oh no, that's a big giant issue, but I do take a look at this Boston Red Sox team, and I do think that they're going to be able to get something relatively decent out of Tanner Houck. Last season, he spent a lot of time in the bullpen with a 3-1-5 ERA, and I never understood why they removed him from being a starter. I actually really like him as a starter. Sometimes he is going to give up some walks, a little bit over three walks per nine innings, but his home runs per nine rate last year was right around 0.5, so he did a great job holding it down there. I mean, it's not like you really have anyone that you can trust in, uh, in this bullpen, other than John Schreiber at a sub-3 ERA last year. Caleb Ord, Zach Kelly, Richard Blyer, these are not guys that are necessarily too great, but I think that Cole Irvin is going to get destroyed with the Baltimore Orioles really having to dive into that bullpen yesterday. I think that that is going to be a rude awakening for them, seeing this total right around a 9 at a lot of spots. We're starting to see some 9 and a but I'm going to lock in a 9 right now. I did set my total at 9.3, so I'm looking over in this spot. I think that Irvin gets destroyed, and well, both of these bullpens are not in good shape going into this game, and with the Red Sox, one to lay up to a minus 135 with them as well. 917-918 on the betting board. The Houston Astros are going to be playing against the Chicago White Sox. Mike Levenger goes for the Sox, and Luis Garcia is going to be on the bump for Houston. Houston is between a minus 160 to a minus 170 favor. Plus 140 to plus 150, your number on the White Sox. 8.5 is the total. Over and under are both at minus 110, and with the Southsiders, I set them as a plus 159 underdog. If you're looking at the run line, you're finding them getting a run and a half more round, minus 135. I'm seeing one straight minus 130, and only getting about a plus 110 to a plus 115 
on the Houston Astros. As of right now, I'm looking at taking a run and half with the Chicago White Sox because we did notice that with the Houston Astros, they weren't necessarily a great run line team last year because they won a lot of one run games just based on sheer ability of their bullpen being able to close out games. Mike Clevenger, he is coming off of Tommy John surgery, first year back from was not necessarily so savory last year and well he had some off the field controversy as well that's a little bit less than terrific as last year with the Padres posted up a 7-7 and record, 433 ERA the strikeout stuff, you tell that it was very much diminished with him, his strikeouts per 9 rate, that was a little bit below 7, I do think that that is going to be significantly better this year and what was interesting about Mike Clevenger is that he also did have a 546 ERA on the road so that is a little bit of a worry spot but I do think that he's going to see that big bump in year number two coming off of that catastrophic injury. Meanwhile, you've got someone in Luis Garcia. I like the way that he's able to roll, but he had a 446 home ERA compared to a 285 road ERA last year. Now, if you go back to 2021, complete opposite. 239 home ERA to a 424 ERA on the road. So he has had very demonstrative home and road splits each other the last two years, and they completely flip-flop last year. Relatively good strikeout guy. Nine strikeouts per nine innings. Gives up, though, about 1.25 home runs per nine innings. And you take a look at the Chicago White Sox lineup, and you don't have that one guy in the lineup that's able to give you, like, 30-plus home runs. You notice that last year, nobody really had north of 25 home runs, but at the same time, you had a whole bunch of guys that they were giving you, like, 20 or so bombs, and now you've got a lot of guys that they do a good job of moving the line. Tim Anderson, he's able to hit a 300-year in a year out. Andrew Benatendi at 300 last season. you got someone in Luis Robert that, whenever he's fully healthy, because he has spent a lot of time on the injured list, he's able to do a nice job, has hit north of a 280 each of the last two seasons. Eloy Jimenez, he's come back from injury. He's really your main power hitter for the team. They are missing Jose Abreu. He's now with the Houston Astros. Was not necessarily hitting for a ton of power last year, but a guy that consistently gets to 100 RBI with that Astros lineup. You've got Jeremy Pena, Alex Bregman at the front end of it. Bregman off to one of his notoriously slow starts. 0 for 12 to begin the season. That's par for the course for him. Kyle Tucker, he's been able to do a nice job of being able to move the line, but you're really going to need to rely upon some of these younger guys with Jose Altuve, with Michael Brantley out of full, like David Hensley, who I do think has quite a bit of upside, but for the Houston Astros, it's just all about this bullpen. As last year, you saw Rafael Montero, Phil Mayton, Ryan Stanek, Brian Abreu, all post up like sub 3-4 ERA, Seth Martinez, throw him in there as well. The Astros had the best bullpen ERA in the big leagues. Meanwhile, you take a look at this Chicago White Sox team, and they've got Liam Hendricks currently out of the fold, dealing with cancer. You wish him absolutely nothing but the best, but Aaron Bummer is relatively soft for the team. Jake Diekman is nothing great. He's nothing terrible. Joe Kelly is awful. You don't want any part of him, but Kendall Graveman, I do think that he's going to be able to rebuild himself after things were not so terrific for him on Friday. I do think that there is quite a bit of upside with him, though, and I do think that the White Sox going to be able to hold it down. I do think that this is going to be a relatively close game. I do think that Luis Garcia is going to be much better at home this year. I do think that Mike Clevenger, coming off of that bad injury, year number two, is going to be able to land a relatively solid start. So, I'm going to be willing to take a run and half with the White Sox. Find that right around minus 130 to a minus 135. I think that this is going to be a one-run game. Wouldn't doubt if the Astros are going to be able to win it outright, but not really interested in paying north of minus 164. And that run line price of the Astros is just not worth it. They didn't cover a lot of run lines last season. And I think this is going to be a lower scoring game. Semi-total 8.1. Diving under. And I'm going to take a run and a half. Laying a little bit of juice there with the Chicago White Sox. 919-920 on the betting board. The Minnesota Twins are hitting the road face off against Kansas City Royals. 
Brad Keller is going to be going for the Royals, and Joe Ryan is on the bump for the Minnesota Twins. Twins are between minus 146 and minus 155 favorites. Anywhere between plus 130 and plus 136 is your number on the Royals, with eight being the total. Juice is all over the place. The over and the under are anywhere between even and minus 120. And when it comes to the Twinkies, I did set them as a minus 142 favorite. Right now, we're just outside that strike zone, really on both sides. But if you are taking a look at the run line in this spot, you're finding the Minnesota Twins only about a plus 105 or so. If you're looking to get a run and half with the Kansas City Royals, I'm finding that anywhere between minus 120 to a minus 125. And this is something I'm getting in the habit of doing a little bit more. I'm going to be willing to take the run and half with the Royals as I was willing to take this as long as I was laying minus 125 or less. So I'm going to be willing to take the Kansas City Royals in this ordeal with Brad Keller. He always has been good at being able to reduce hard contact. Last year, he did give up about 1.2 home runs per nine innings, but you look throughout his career, about 0.7, 0.8 home runs per nine innings. Has always pitched better in Kansas City rather than on the road. 562 home ERA, 569 ERA on the road. He's always been giving up Quite a bit of hard contact. Does need to reduce the walks as his blocks per nine rate was just below four last season. But for Joe Ryan, this guy was not good on the road last year. 422 road ERA, 304 home ERA. And on the road, he was giving up right around one and a half home runs per nine innings. So I do think that there are some worry spots with both of these pitchers. Now with the Minnesota Twins, they do have the better bullpen. Orde Alcala is someone that I do like. You've got Yohan Duran, who's able to throw 100 miles per hour. He's one of the most underrated relievers in all of baseball. And then from there, Giovanni Morin is able to hold down the for it. You really just need to avoid Emilio Pagan. But then, you've got someone in Scott Barlow I think is relatively underrated. They signed Aroldis Chapman during the offseason so the Royals have been able to fortify their bullpen. I do think that there is some upside with regards to this Kansas City Royals lineup as well. They have not really performed to begin the season but the pitching has for one and for two. And take a look at Salvador Perez being healthy. I think that that is absolutely massive for this team. When he was fully healthy two seasons ago, he was able to mash 48 home runs. I believe that that led the league. You then have guys like Kyle Isabel, MJ Melendez, Vinny Pascantino. They move the line, especially Pascantino. They're kicking the tires on Framil Reyes, who he did not have the most savory of seasons last year with the Cleveland Guardians, but I still remember during that 2020 campaign, he did a nice job hitting a 275. He's been able to post up 30 home runs before in his career, so I do think that that's a nice upside signing, and when it comes to the Minnesota Twins, you don't necessarily have a ton of power with this lineup, aside from Byron Buxton. Buxton was able to hit a home run every about 15 or so at-bats, and it looks like he's fully healthy, as he had to go deep this year, but he's been able to do a good job of just being able to get on base, something that eluded him last season due to all the injuries, but Michael A. Taylor... It's good in the field, not necessarily great at the plate. Joey Gallo, he's just a strikeout waiting to happen. Nick Gordon, a little bit of an up-and-down player. Now, who I do like for this Minnesota Twins team is Jose Miranda. Not a guy that went deep a ton last year, but provided a 325 on base. I do think that this does have the makings of a little bit of a lower-scoring game. I think that both of these offenses are a tad bit less than trustworthy. Right now, we're mostly finding eights out there. At an eight, I'm going to be willing to go over. I do think that things get a little bit warmer with these lineups as the Kansas City Royals through their first two games of the season. I have as many runs as Greg Peterson, and I do have some issues with both of these starting pitchers, which is why I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a nip-and-duck game. 
Getting the Kansas City Royals right around minus 120 to minus 125. Getting a run and a half is what I'm looking at here. And with the total, I'm willing to take an 8 over, set my total more around an 8.4. 921, 922. On the betting board, it is the LA Angels. And they're going to be in the road face off against the Oakland A's. As Ken Waldachek is going to be going for the A's. And Tyler Anderson is on the bump for the Angels. Angels between minus 153 and minus 165 favorites. Anywhere between plus 135 and plus 142 is your number on Oakland. 7.5 to 8 is your total on 7.5 over. Minus 120 and the unders even on the eight. The unders between minus 115 and minus 120. The overs anywhere between even a minus 105. Did set my total at 8.3. I'm going to be willing to go over. We saw the Oakland A's have to trot out there a bunch of arms yesterday as the LA Angels, they were able to rename the Oakland A's Hickory because they got smoked. Perhaps that'll be their name when they move out here to lovely Las Vegas. The Hickory A's. But with that said, for the Oakland A's, they do have some guys in the bullpen that aren't necessarily too bad. Sam Mall is someone they do like. Danny Jimenez, Domingo Acevedo. These guys had some four ERAs last season, but I can't get behind Ken Waldachuk. He had an ERA that was well north of six during spring training. Last year in his starts, he had a 4.93 ERA. 363 ERA at home, but keep in mind, the ballpark out there in Oakland plays very differently day to night. Nighttime, it's as pitcher-friendly as it gets. The marine layer is out, what have you. During the daytime, it's open sky. It's not necessarily overly cold in the great state of California, so that works to the detriment of these Oakland A's pitchers, and you've got someone in Taylor Ward that last year was very much up and down, but he had a 3 hit game yesterday. He was able to go deep. I think that he's got a lot of upside. You've got Mike Trout. You've got Joey Otani, two of the best hitters in the big leagues, and if you're able to get anything whatsoever out of Anthony Rendon, because it's been a while since he's been fully healthy, but during that 2020 campaign that he spent with the LA Angels when he played just 52 games, he was providing right around about a 420 on base. We've already seen him be able to go deep 30-plus times in a season throughout his career. Hunter Renfro was a good addition, 25-plus home runs, hitting about a 250 with the Brewers last year. And for the Oakland A's, their lineup is better than when it was last year. It really couldn't get worse, but they pick up Alamendi Ciaz, they pick up Jesus Aguiar. Aguiar was actually leading the National League in RBI in August of 2021, so he's not far removed from success. Ramon Laureano went deep yesterday, and you do have still one guy that was relatively solid for this lineup last year in Seth Brown. Brown last season, he only hit right around at 230, but he was able to slug out 25 home runs, so that's helpful for the team. I do think that Tony Kemp is going to be a little bit more lucky than he's been the last two years. He's been a bad luck candidate and with the LA Angels. Always have to fear this bullpen. It is not good to say the least. You got someone in Aaron Loop who had north of a four ERA last year. They signed Matt Moore who last season was actually very good with Buck 95 ERA. I will see it to believe it when I see him put together two very good years. Carlos Estevez throughout his career has had north of a 4-5 ERA. Can't really trust in a guy like Orion Tapera at this point in his career either. And I do think that Tyler Anderson is going to be able to do a relatively solid job, though. I do think that he was a big beneficiary of having such a good bullpen behind him with the LA Dodgers. I really do think that it was a perfect situation. He went 15-5 last year, 250-70 ERA. What you know about Tyler Anderson is that he's not going to put people on base freely about 1.7 walks per nine innings, but he also provided right around seven strikeouts per nine innings as well. So I do think that he's going to get hit quite a bit, but I think Ken Waldachuk is going to get hit far harder in this spot. I did set my total at 8.3, so I'm looking at the over. If you're looking at the run line of the Angels, you're able to get that at plus money, right around plus 105. I was willing to lay a minus 110, so I'm looking at the Angels on the run line. I set their money line at a minus 180, but I would rather lay a run in half as I do think that this is going to be a higher scoring game than they're thinking. So looking at the run line of the Angels and taking a look at this total over. 923, 924 on the betting board. It is the Cleveland Guardians. Third face off against the Seattle Mariners. Marco Gonzalez is going to be going for Seattle. 
Cal Quantrill is on the bump for Cleveland. Eight is your total. Over and under anywhere between minus 105, minus 115. And it's a pick'em game. You're fighting both teams anywhere between minus 104 to minus 110. And with Cleveland, I set them as a minus 111 favorite. I'm willing to take them on this pick'em line. Willing to lay up to minus 110 with Cal Quantrill. He was just absolutely dynamic towards back half of the season last year. The Cleveland Guardians went 13-2 and in his last 15 regular season starts. I mean, every single time he took the mound, it was absolutely magical as after the 5th of July, during the regular season, they just lost just one of his final starts. I mean, this guy, every single time he takes a mound, he does a good job of being able to put you in a position to win. Now, he is a notoriously little bit of a slow starter. He, in the months of April and May, had right around about a 3-5 or so ERA. The wins weren't necessarily there for him, but you can tell that he was sort of rounding into form, and with Cal Quantrill, he's not going to be a guy that's blowing you away or anything like that. A little bit over six strikeouts per nine innings opponents at a 250 off of him, but does a good job inducing some soft contact. Only gives up about a home run per nine innings, and this is a Seattle Mariners bunch that they're a little bit of an all-or-nothing team. They had a 230 last season. Now, they did make a couple nice signings as they bring into the full day Oscar Hernandez, a combined 57 home runs at a 259 with the Blue Jays last season. Colton Wong, he has hit at least a 249 in each out of the last six seasons, but you need to see it to believe it with Jared Kelnick. Two of seven in his first two games of the season. Not too bad there. You've got someone like a Cal Raleigh who's not going to hit for average, but he was able to supply north of 25 home runs last season. Ty France, he does a good job moving the line along with Eugenio Suarez, and both of these guys capable of 25-plus home run seasons along with Julio Rodriguez, but really the big thing with both of these teams is the bullpen. You've got to see on the Mariners team that is sixth in the league in terms of bullpen ERA from last season. Last season, you saw the Cleveland Guardians be number five with this regard. James Karinchuk got lit up night number one, but he's very good. Aniel De Los Santos, Eli Morgan, they're all very good compliments to what you're able to get in the back end out of Emmanuel Classe. And then Andres Munoz, we saw him be very good on the flip side for the Seattle Mariners. You've got someone in Paul Seawall that you know what you're able to expect there. Really, everyone, aside from Diego Garcia throughout the year last year, were pretty rock solid in that Seattle Mariners bullpen. And then when it comes to Cleveland Guardians, got a lot of guys that are able to do a good job of moving the line. Even in the limited sample size that we saw out of Will Brandon, he was able to do a good job of being able to get on base. We all know that Stephen Kwan, Andres Jimenez, are going to be able to hit for a good average. Don't necessarily have a lot of power. Josh Bell comes in. He had just 16 home runs last year, but a guy that isn't far removed from having 100-plus RBI in a season. We all know what to expect out of Jose Ramirez. 29 home runs, 125 RBI last season, but I do think that with the Guardians, they're going to be able to get to a guy in Marco Gonzalez. If you take a look at the advanced numbers and you take a look at the actual ERA, they just don't match up. Because if you take a look at the raw numbers, Marco Gonzalez was not terrible last year. A 4.13 ERA, he gave up about 1.5 home runs per nine innings, which honestly, it's not good, but at the same time, you would honestly expect it to be quite a bit higher with the way that he pitches, because with his fielding and pennant, that was right around a 5.05. He doesn't walk a ton of guys, two and a half walks per nine innings, but 5.1 strikeouts per nine innings. I really have my question marks with Marco Gonzalez. He had a 3.58 home ERA that should have been well north of four. He got very lucky on some balls, and I do think that that is going to catch up with him. Quantrill probably had a little bit of 
good fortune with him as well as he allows quite a bit of contact, but I did something total as 7.4. Got a Guardians team that really doesn't do a great job with their offense. You got a Mariners team that they're all or nothing at the plate, and you've got a pair of really good bullpens. I think that Cal Quantrill is going to be able to put this game on lockdown. I'm willing to take the Guardians at right around minus 105 to a minus 110, and here at the 8, going to be looking under as well. 925, 926 on the betting board. The San Francisco Giants hit the road to face off against the New York Yankees. Ross Stripling goes for the Giants, and Johnny Brito is going to be going for the Yankees, and the Yankees are favorites of anywhere between minus 135 to a minus 145 with the Giants. You're finding them anywhere between plus 118 and plus 128. 8.5 is your total, the over and the under, anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115, and need at least plus 128 to take a shot here on the Giants, but I'm willing to do so. It's a San Francisco Giants lineup that it very much does depend upon platooning, so you're not going to see one guy go out and have absolutely massive numbers, but I do like the way that this team is put together. Thario Estrada does a good job of being able to move the line. Brandon Crawford, one of the oldest shortstops in the game. He's proven that he still got it last year. Didn't necessarily hit for a great average, but two seasons ago, 24 bombs. I'm sitting right around 300. I think that he's going to be somewhere in the middle of A and B. Mikey Strzemski is able to provide power along with Doc Peterson, so I like the balance there. And Ross Stripling was a very good under-the-radar ad. 10-4 and four with a 3.01 ERA last season. A little bit of an afterthought with the Toronto Blue Jays that they started them out of necessity, and boom, they were able to get some good magic there as he only gave up right around 0.8 home runs per nine innings. Nearly one and a half walks per nine innings. Was he a little bit lucky on balls in play? Yes, but I really like what he's able to bring to the table. And then our good friend, Mr. Benito, he's going to be backed up by a bullpen that is meh because they did lose in the offseason a pair of guys I like, Chad Green, who he was just banged up in general, so it wasn't as bad of a loss. But at the same time, they did have to move on from Lucas Lutke, which I know that there weren't a lot of guys that were high on him, but at the same time, I always liked him. And you do have still guys like Aron Maranakio that are going to be able to help him out. But this is going to be his first time pitching up at the big league level. Last year was really a stud at the minor league level. At the double-A level, 236 ERA, more of a 331 at Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, but still, this is someone that does a good job of being able to keep things out in front of him. He is not going to be rattled by the situation throughout his minor league career, only about two walks per nine innings. Not much of a strikeout guy. He only got right around eight strikeouts per nine innings across all forms of minor league baseball, but I like the way that he was able to perform in spring training as well. You take a look at those numbers at 208 ERA. Once again, only about seven strikeouts per nine innings, but kept the walks down, kept the hard contact down as well, but I do think that the Giants are going to be able to do a nice job of game planning there. The big key for the Giants is really being able to have some consistency with their bullpen. They've got Rogers squared, Tyler and Taylor Rogers. Both of these guys have been shaky recently, but I do like Camilio Duvall. Last year, he was really the one guy that you could rely upon in the San Francisco Giants bullpen with about a 253 ERA. Scott Alexander, you don't know what to expect there. John Brebbia, he's been hot and cold throughout his career as well, so a very interesting circumstance being able to get a plus 127 or greater on the San Francisco Giants. I'm going to be willing to take that plus number, and I did sell my total at 8.7. I do think that Ross Stripling, because he does allow quite a bit of contact, he is doing for a little bit of regression. I do think that Brito, he's going to have a little bit of a tough time in his first start as well. So taking the plus price with the San Francisco Giants, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over on 8.5 as well. 9.27, 9.28 on the bang board. The Toronto Blue Jays at the road face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Jordan Montgomery is going to be going for the cards, and Chris Bassett as the hook line and sinker for Toronto. And Toronto 
is in a relatively pick'em game. You're finding them in between minus 103 to a minus 110. And with the Cardinals, you're finding them anywhere between minus 105 to minus 110. It is your total, the over and the under, once again, between even and minus 120. So do shop around there. And I did set my total at 7.6. So you're at the 8. I'm going to be taking a look at the under. But I did set the Cardinals as a minus 119 favorite. We were talking about this with our good friend Matt Pauly. And I do think that Chris Bassett is going to be very solid here for the Toronto Blue Jays, but at the same time, I do think that this is a St. Louis Cardinals lineup that it's very good. You've got those young guys in the outfield. Tyler O'Neill is someone I think is going to be able to have a very good year for the team. We all know Paul Goldschmidt is able to provide along with Nolan Arenado. These are two of the best hitters in the big leagues, and I expect nothing less than terrificness out of them, if terrificness is a word, but I love what he was saying as well out of Nolan Gorman. He spent a little bit of time at the big league level last year. was able to hit some bombs. I think that he's going to have a nice breakout year. I've been waiting a little bit for someone like a Lars Newtbar as well, and I think that this could be the year for he and Dylan Carlson. Brandon Donovan does a nice job of being able to reach bases. He had nearly a 330 at home last season, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, they certainly did help out their defense in the outfield, as they do pick up Kevin Kiermeyer, they pick up Dalton Varsho, that's very big, you know, to expect out of your big matchers, George Springer, along with Bo Bichette, both have five hits already in the series, Flagler Jr., and he had 40-plus home runs, was sitting at 300-plus last few seasons, so you know, love what he's able to bring to the table, Alejandro Kirk does a good job of being able to move the line, never been necessarily too high on Whitmere Field, it feels like he's had a little bit of a fall-off, Matt Chapman can be a little bit hit or miss, but when he's hitting, he's hitting in a big way for the Blue Jays. Tad bit of an underrated bullpen. I do like what they're able to get out of guys like Yimi Garcia, Tim Meza, Eric Swanson at a sub-2 ERA with the Seattle Mariners last year, and I do think that Ryan Elsley is going to be able to figure it out. He and Giovanni Gallegos, very good in that bullpen. Andre Pallanti, he gives up a lot of contact, but somehow, someway, he's always able to get out of it. I do think that Jordan Nix is going to be able to shake off some of the rust that we saw towards the beginning of the season, but you do take a look at Chris Bassett. Last year, a 3.42 ERA. Home runs per nine rate was just below one. He's an okay strikeout pitcher. Not great, not terrible, but whenever he was away from the city of New York since he was a Metropolitan last season, he did provide a 4 ERA, and that does have me a little bit cautious. Meanwhile, with Jordan Montgomery, he's been able to pitch very well in the city of St. Louis. I think that he's going to be able to continue to do so. Did hit some hiccups in September last year, but by and large, I do like what he's able to bring to the table. I think that he's well-built for this ballpark. Right around 8 strikeouts per 9 innings, a little bit over a home run per 9. Surrendered out of him, but fewer than 2 walks per 9 innings. He just really, for lack of a better term is able to do his job. I do think that he's going to do a nice job against the Blue Jays. I do think that it's very helpful that they're playing this game for his sake in very early April rather than in July where the ball is going to be flying out. I think that that is going to be to his advantage and really the advantage of both of these pitchers. Did set my total at 7.6. I think that both of these bullpens are going to be able to do a solid job. I think that both of these starters do a relatively good job as well, but I do think that you're going to be able to get just a little bit more out of Jordan Montgomery in this spot. I set the Cardinals as a minus 119 favorite, so I'm going to rock with them in this spot. Set my total at 7.6, so also diving under, we wrap things up with 929, 930 on the betting board. The Walker, Texas Rangers, playoffs of Philadelphia Phillies. Bailey Falter is going to be going for the Phillies, and Martin Perez is going to be on the bump for Texas. Texas is back. To being a favorite, anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110. Your number on the Phillies. 8.5 to 9 is your total on the 8.5. 
Over is minus 115 to a minus 105. The under is any between minus 105 to a minus 115 on the 9. Under is minus 120, and the over is even. I set my total at 9.1, so being able to get more 8.5s, I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. You've got a completely spent Philadelphia Phillies bullpen from yesterday. As I mean, I was talking about Hickory smoked jokes a few minutes ago, talking about that Angels versus A's game, and Man, Texas was able to put up 16 runs yesterday. Very good for the DK Nation pick up the over. Not good for this Philadelphia Phillies bullpen that had to burn through darn near everyone. Sir Anthony Dominguez, he had to throw 27 pitches yesterday. Jose Alvarado had to throw 18 pitches. Craig Kimbrell had to throw 18 pitches. So, I mean, these guys are just completely toasted, and it's not a good bullpen to start out with, and you had to use up your trustworthy guys. So, that's not great. Now, with the Philadelphia Phillies, they do have a rock-solid lineup. They bring in Trey Turner. He's able to do a nice job of moving the line. Not a great power hit but I mean, he does everything relatively well, including being able to play the field. Derek Hall is someone that I was impressed by towards back half of the season last year. I think that he's got some good potential. Was able to hit a 250, had nine home runs and 136 at bats last year. He had an extra base hit yesterday. Bryson Sod is someone that's able to move line. Alec Bohm went deep day number one, and then Kyle Schwarber had 45-plus home runs last season. Phillies were a top-8 team in terms of runs per game and home runs per game last year. That should continue this year. But for Texas, Marcus Simeon had that just almighty bad start last year. He already got a home run this year after it took him like 50-some-odd games to get one last year. He and Corey Seager at the top are very solid. Adel Lee Garcia, he was hot and cold last year, but he was still able to get to 25-plus home runs, hit about a 250. I like what he's able to show. Robbie Grossman has actually looked halfway decent for this team, and for Texas, it is still a little bit of a shaky bullpen. They do lose Matt Moore from last year, but Brock Burke was able to provide a sub-3 ERA, so you've got a little bit of something there. They bring in Ian Kennedy, which it's not the worst addition. It's not the greatest addition, but it's not the worst addition. Will Smith, he got jiggy with it last year with nearly a 4 ERA, so you do have some question marks there, but Martin Perez, the big question is, what is he going to be able to do? Because towards back half of the season last year, he was back in the top five in terms of walks post-All-Star break after he did a really good job with his command, and that made him an All-Star last season, so... It was a little bit of a tale of two seasons for him as Martin Perez overall last year had a 2.89 ERA, but you could tell that he was acting up a little bit more towards the back half of the season with those walks issues. Got very lucky to not give up more hard contact. He gave up a half home run for nine innings. I don't think that that's very sustainable for him, but at the same time, he's now going up against a guy in Bailey Falter that I have absolutely no faith in whatsoever. He had a 3.86 ERA last season. Mr. Falter, he gave up 1.7 home runs per nine innings. So it's credit less than two walks per nine innings, but opponents had a 263 off of them. This is not someone that's really going to be putting it past you. A little bit under eight strikeouts per nine innings. I'm just really not high on him. Every time I watch Bailey Falter, I'm always thinking that he's in danger of giving up six runs in any given inning. You take a look at what he did during spring training as well. He had a 450 ERA. He was giving up three walks at two home runs per nine innings. So big time question marks with him. You don't have any sort of a bullpen to really back him up in this spot. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, still relatively solid and rested bullpen. Falter really being thrown out there by default. So, I do think that the trend of the overs that has been hitting in the series does continue. So, I told the 9.1, so whether you got an 8.5 or 9, looking over. And with the Texas Rangers, I do think that Perez, far better than Barry Bailey Falter. So, my total at minus 144. So, taking the Rangers and taking a look at this total over. And that will wrap things up for the Sunday edition of the Baseball Betting Show. Now, part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. A big thanks to Matt Pauly. Does great work over at the St. Louis Cardinals Radio Network. You join me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from this fine podcast, 
Podcast, the Baseball Betting Show. You're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GNN underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters CM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline any other way. That is fine in Apple Podcast Review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Five that five star review coming at you guys every single day. You're up the baseball season. That means coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bed 365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.